0: You're listening to sermon audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. If you have a Bible, if you turn to Philippians four, <clears throat> Philippians four verses four through seven is where we're going to be. Um, we're um, sermon three in this little short series that we're doing here in August about how prayer changes us. Uh, so that we can then go and change the world. So we're in Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Um, the American Psychological Association every year does what they call uh, their Stress in America survey. And so they released the findings from the, from the latest one um, a couple months ago. And I just wanted to share with you some of the, I was going to say highlights, but I guess they're really kind of lowlights, honestly. Um, of persons interviewed or surveyed stressed about money and economy right now in our nation. 58% of persons said they had either experienced sudden weight gain or sudden weight loss as a result of their stress and their anxiety. 23%, nearly a quarter of the population that was surveyed, said they had increased their alcohol consumption as a means for compensating their stress and their anxiety. 58% said that they had experienced either a personal relationship strain or even a personal relationship termination continued due to the issue of COVID-19. Not whether or not they had it or not, but the theories that are around it, how it was handled, who you believe started what, so on and so forth. 58% said they've either had a relationship strain or termination due to the thoughts around that. And only 47% believed that their personal mental health was good or excellent. Over half the population surveyed said they did not believe their mental health was good or excellent. We're a stressed out culture. And unfortunately, Christians are not always exempt from that. We have our own issues, we have our own things we're dealing with, we have our own struggles and the, the, the difference for us should be, as we're going to look at the scripture today, should be that we should have a different way of dealing with it than those who are without Christ. And sometimes when we have stress, sometimes when we have anxiety, we uh, kind of think through or say things that really honestly aren't helpful. <laughs> you might have heard of this one before in your life. Rule number one is don't sweat the small stuff. Rule number two is it's all small stuff right? But The reality of it is it's not all small stuff, is it? On, on the grand scale of things, on the scale of eternity, it's small stuff, but not when we're in the moment of it. I, I want to do a demonstration for you. Denny and Meg, if I could have you all come up here for just a second. And Denny, if you'll just take this and kind of walk towards the, the cross there and we'll unravel this best we can without making any knots. And You'll take that other end and just kind of stretch that out in between. If it knots up in the middle, that's fine. It's not a big deal. We talk about anxiety and stress and the things that are on our lives, right? And we say something like that. Don't sweat the small stuff. It's all small stuff. Well, yeah, on the scale of eternity, it's small stuff, isn't it? If the end that Denny's holding is the time that God created the world, The point of origin of creation. And if the the end that Meg is holding is when everything comes back to a culmination, or God, when he comes back to renew the heavens and the earth and begin his kingdom. If that's the span of eternity, and this microscopic dot on the line right here represents your life, then yeah, your life and my life is small stuff, isn't it? But the reality of it is when this microscopic dot here on this eternal timeline is your life or is my life and is all the things that we deal with, with stress and anxiety and so forth, it's not such small stuff in that moment, is it? So we've got to keep a bigger picture in mind. Thank you all. Y'all can, y'all can keep that as a souvenir if you want to. <clears throat> we, we've got to. We've got to try to keep the bigger picture in mind acknowledge that there's difficulty acknowledge that there's stress and anxiety acknowledge that there are things that that seek to tear at us but part of the way the Christian deals with it is we keep that eternal scope in mind we understand that whatever it is we might be going through whatever it is we're dealing with on an eternal scale is small so to do that we need prayer and we need to be praying about things that are stressful and anxious to us. And in keeping with our, st- with our s- sermon series, we need that prayer to change us. Not necessarily to change the things that stress us out or give us anxiety, but we need that prayer to change us. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. If you want to follow along with me, and we'll walk through a few few points today. In Christ Jesus. So, one of the first ways that we deal with anxiety and stress and how we deal with it from a Christian standpoint is we remind ourselves that the Lord is near. Be reminded of the nearness of the Lord. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. It's a phrase to remind us the Lord is not far off, He's not removed from us. He is with us in the midst of our situations. He is close by. And he's close by both in an in a understanding of space. He's close by in the power and the presence of this Holy Spirit that indwells within us. He's also close by in an understanding of time, meaning that at any day he could return. It's a common theme through the New Testament writings. When you read the letters of the New Testament, they really, truly believed it was going to be any day now. Any day, any day, any day. And, of course, there were scoffers among them. There were people on the outside looking in. Well, isn't he, isn't he slow in coming back? Where is he? Why hadn't he come back yet? And Peter answered that. Uh, I used it yesterday in a little memorial service that we had for for Ronnie and for the family and uh, I quoted from 2 Peter 3. He says, "Don't think the Lord's slow as you consider slowness. He's slow because he's desiring people to come to repentance. He's withholding his return so that you who do not know the Lord yet may have an opportunity." To know the Lord but for those of us who are already in the Lord and already saved we kind of have lost a little bit of that expectation I don't know that that you or I get up every day and look to the eastern sky and go hope oh, this is the day my guess is that you and I get up in the mornings and go all right well where do I have to be first what's what's first on my agenda today And the New Testament church awoke and arose with an anticipation that this could be the day. So we need to rejoice in that. We need to rejoice in the Lord. And he says we rejoice always, uh, but he really makes it this way, rejoice in the Lord always. Sometimes joy is difficult to come by, right? Let's take off the, the perfect Sunday morning masks for a moment, right? Sometimes joy is very difficult to come by. It's difficult to rejoice in the troubling diagnosis, isn't it? It's difficult to rejoice when you're a single car family and the single car dies. Or when the economic situation around you changes or whatever the case may be. But what he says is rejoice in the Lord always. Don't let the situation determine Your stress level and your anxiety level and whether or not you have joy, you rejoice in the Lord and that's part of changing us. And he says we do that because, again, he is at hand. Or some of your translations may say that he is near. Again, this is a word that really kind of um, has two intents to it. Uh, That is that it means both time and space. So if you've invited me over for dinner and you give me a call and you say, where are you? And I say, well, I'm five minutes away. Well, I'm near, I'm at hand, but from a time perspective, I've still got a few more minutes to get to you, right? Or, but if you call and you say, where are you? I say, well, I've just pulled in your driveway. Well, now I'm near or at hand, but in a very geographical way, in a very spatial way. And here, the, been, there's been countless debate over, does Paul mean in a time setting? Does he mean in a, in a, in a, in a spatial setting, meaning that he's close to us physically or spiritually? I really think Paul's intent here is that it's both. That through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit for all believers, the Lord is near. He's with you. He's in the midst of the battle with you. He's in the midst of the anxiety and the stress with you. He is there to comfort you from a time point of view. I think Paul intends for that to be that he's near as well. One pastor that I was uh, listening to put it this way. He said, just imagine Jesus is at the gate, the gate of heaven, just waiting. Have you ever been to see a horse race or seen one on TV and they load those horses into the gate? And no, I'm not comparing Jesus to a horse, but it's the best metaphor I could come up with, right? And like those horses, they're just, they're ready. They're go, they've, they've been corralled in. They're ready to get out and run. I believe Jesus is ready to run, but he's submitting himself to the Father's will. He's submitting himself to the Father's timing, but the moment the Father says go, he is near. I think Paul intends for us to understand that from a time perspective and from a spatial perspective, he is near. So the second thing we do then, we remind ourselves the Lord is near, but we become active in our prayer life. Look again at verse 6. If you will, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul gives us an understanding of two types of prayer. In prayer is a phrase that just means a very general state of prayer. You're praying about things in a very general way. You're praying about people in a very general way. We're praying at certain times. We're praying consistently. We're, we're following up on the things that are our responsibility from verses 4 and 5, right? Our responsibility is to be joyful in the Lord. Our responsibility is to remember that he's near. Our responsibility is to be gentle or reasonable to all people. So we're taking our responsibility, but then in prayer, we are moving that responsibility to God. Don't be anxious about anything, but in prayer, we speak to God. It's a a conscious dependence that you and I have to make, a choice that you and I have to make, in which we acknowledge that we have very little control over over our lives. And yet we simultaneously acknowledge, but there is one who has great control. There's one who's with us. And so our first priority is to, in moments of anxiety and, prayer and worry, is to pray. So we pray. He says, in prayer and supplication. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, prayer being very general, supplication here, narrowing it down a little bit. It's a word that means to pray for specific needs. Or specific situations, or for the context of Philippians 4, specific areas of anxiety and worry. It's the difference between a blast from a shotgun, which has a very wide pattern when it goes, to a sniper rifle, which is focused and laser beamed in on one point in particular. And Ian e. Bounds, in one of his prayer books, wrote this He said, Prayer is the language of a person burdened with a sense of of need. That's what that supplication piece means. It is targeting, it is highlighting specific needs. Now, you may think to yourself at times, or you may have seasons in your life, well, I don't know that I really have any needs. Well, number one, bless you. But number two, surely you know somebody that has needs. Surely you know somebody who has anxiety and worry and it's because of, again, a a diagnosis or a need, a physical need or an emotional need or a material need in their life. Surely you know somebody in your family, in your circle of friends, in in your community of faith across the road in that you pray and you pray with supplication. And then the third criteria he gives us there is that we do those things with thanksgiving. We balance out the need or we balance out the situation with thanksgiving. Say, how do you pray when you're anxious and when you're worrisome and when you have needs? How do you pray with thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is just meant to move us into gratitude for the things that we already have overcome or the ways that God has already worked in our lives, Any of y'all's parents ever felt like this? Christmas time rolls around or birthdays roll around and kids start popping off. This, 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 I want this, 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 this. You ever had that thought of, well, I just wish you'd appreciate what you got last year. Right? Let's be honest. That's where our mind goes. Have you played? Have you even played with that thing we got you last year? Yeah, I played with it six weeks ago. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic right and we and we and we have those conversations with our kids because we want to do what we want to develop a sense of gratitude in them we want them not always be longing for the next thing or the next upgrade or the next vehicle or the next whatever the case may be depending on how old your kid is we want them to have gratitude for what they already have right well I got news for you you and I are just big kids to God He is our father. He's our heavenly father. And so Paul says we need to pray with thanksgiving. We need to be reminded of what God has done, how he has worked, and how we have seen him in our lives in order to pray effectively and correctly about the current anxiety and worry and situations in our lives. Because he wants us to have gratitude for that. This is a fairly important teaching by Paul. To the church at Thessalonica, he basically repeats this whole thing. At the end of the letter of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, this is what he says. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor over 20 plus years I've had somebody say, how do I know what the will of God is for me? And usually they're talking about a decision they have to make or a choice they have to make. But one of the things I always take them to are scriptures like this. And I say, well, there are, there are places in your life and my life that the will of God may be yet unknown. But there are places in scripture where he certainly declares his will to be known. And It is the will of God that we pray in this fashion. It is the will of God that we pray constantly, that we pray in a rejoiceful manner, and that we pray with thanksgiving. That is his will for us in Christ Jesus. Then Paul opens up this section by saying, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything pray in this manner. There's a story that circulated, and I don't, I don't know if it was real or not, but it's, it's drives home a good point about a missionary in the jungles of Africa who encountered a lion one day as he was traveling from one tribal location to another. And he froze in his tracks. He prayed and prayed that God would save him and take care of him. And and the the lion turned tail and went back into the jungle area and and he he escaped it fine. And said that night he was in his tent and a mosquito started annoying him. And the mosquito annoyed him and annoyed him and kept him up all night. And he woke up, had dark circles under his eyes because he had to deal with that all the time. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him that morning in prayer said, You asked the Father to deliver you from the lion, but you thought you could handle the mosquito by yourself. Paul says in everything, in everything. There's nothing too great and there's nothing too small that the Lord does not want to deal with in your life and mine everything we pray in this fashion and then thirdly we see how he answers look he says "Look what he says there in verse 7 and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus the peace of God which surpasses, which is far greater than my understanding and yours, my, my comprehension is yours, that is what his answer is to us according to Paul uh, here in this, pa- in this passage. Why do we need his peace? Because we tend to run down the rabbit holes, don't we? We tend to to go down the rabbit trails of why something's happened, why it's it's happening now, uh, whose fault was it, how long is it going to be around us. And all that does is just draw out our anxiety. All that does is just increase our worry. The peace of God is designed for you and I to react less and to rest more. Sometimes we don't have explanations. Sometimes the explanations are not what we want to hear. That's where we need the peace of God. We rest because, again, we go back to the very first points. We acknowledge that he's near. He's not far away. He's with us. And there's an interesting angle here the way Paul writes this, that it is a peace that surpasses our understanding or our comprehension. The angle is this, that if it surpasses our knowledge then it's something that has to be experienced. If it surpasses our comprehension, if it surpasses our knowledge, if it surpasses our understanding, what Paul's really writing here is from a a mental mind point of view, it's not enough for somebody to talk to you about the peace of God. It's not enough for you to even read about the peace of God. You've got to seek to experience it. You ever tried to tell somebody about a, a new place that you ate at? How they just have to, and you, man, the, you know, the tacos or the brisket or the pizza. Or a, like you would not, the way they cooked it and the spices and this. And you can talk to your blue in the face, right? But until they go and eat, they don't know, do they? Until you and I go to the Lord for this peace until you and I rest in this peace until you and I acknowledge that this peace is truly that which is more than we can understand in our minds we'll never we'll never know it he says that peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus guard here is a military term if you've ever had the chance to see either in person or maybe on TV the the tomb of the unknown soldier and how that that guards that area and Walks back and forth through that space. That that's the picture of of God guarding us here. He's guarding our heart, which is uh, biblically the center of our thoughts, our will, and our conscience. And He's guarding our mind, which biblically is kind of the place where we kind of reason things out or think things through. And He does that. He guards that again uh, to keep us from chasing rabbits to keep us from going down the trails that we don't need to go to. Now, notice what Paul doesn't say in this passage. I, um, I, I like the TV show, The Office. There's an episode where character Michael Scott is listening to a voicemail from his ex-girlfriend, <clears throat> Jan, and uh, he calls in uh, one of the other characters, Stanley, to help him figure out what Jan's saying, and uh, Stanley's up for a raise, so Stanley wants to do whatever he can do to make sure he gets a good raise, and uh, they listen to the voicemail, and Stanley asks him to, to play it back, and Stanley goes, now, listen to the pauses. Michael says, What do you mean? He says, Sometimes women say more in their pauses than they do in their words. Now, I don't believe that for a second. He says, Sometimes in the silence, they say more than they do in their words. I-, I think this is a point here with Paul where in what he doesn't say means as much as what he does. Because look at what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your response be made known to God and God will take that situation away from you. He doesn't say that, does he? And God will reverse whatever mess you're in And God will cause whatever distress or anxiety or worry you're in, he'll cause it to go away. No, he says, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, I think what Paul is saying here is this is where this prayer changes us. He doesn't say that praying this way is going to change what causes the anxiety or what causes the worry. Now, do I believe God sometimes steps in? Yes, I do. I do believe that. I believe sometimes he does step in and reverse things and change things. But our hope, our goal is not to get him to change that. Our hope and goal in prayer here is to get him to change us. That we would replace being anxious and being worrisome with being at peace. And you might say, what possible purpose would God have for not fixing the situation? Well, let me ask you a question. You ever come out of one situation in life only to find yourself in another one not too far down the road? Yeah. Sometimes God does this kind of work with us because he's training us, or really to use a better biblical word, he is discipling us to help us to know that the next time we're in anxiety and the next time we have worry and the next time that situation crops up, our first response is to pray and let his peace guard us. Because there's not always just one situation or one, uh, one occurrence in our life where we have anxiety and worry and need peace. And Paul says here the reality of it is what God does is he guards us. He doesn't change the situation he doesn't remove it from whatever it is the church at Philippi was doing Paul doesn't say walk through this formatted prayer and then watch everything change what he says is walk through this prayer make this a part of who you are and watch yourself change because the peace of God is going to guard you he says the peace of God in verse 7. He says the God of peace will be with you in verse 9. If you were to read on a little bit, he talks about the God of peace being with you. At the end of verse 7, he says that it's going to be in it with us in Christ Jesus. There's a, there's a beautiful flow here that Paul is writing about that when we couple, for example, with John 14, where Jesus starts to talk about the Holy Spirit who would come, the helper, the comforter. There's this beautiful flow where we see here really the full scope of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit beginning to be at work in the, in the life of a believer. That the God of peace who's made peace available to us through Jesus Christ then comes to guard and dwell in our hearts through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous piece of work by the Trinity. I want to say one last thing before we close up today. I often tell folks we've got to really make sure that we, when we study, we look at the full sum of Scripture, right? It's a dangerous thing to pick one Scripture or one piece of Scripture out and build a a whole thinking or thought process on it. And when Jesus is delivering his Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, one of the things he says is, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I want to tell you right now, you're going to have a hard time. I'm going to have a hard time trying to let the peace of God guard my heart and mind if I'm not a peacemaker elsewhere in my life. If I'm over here in this situation saying, God, I just need your peace. I need your peace. And I'm over here in this situation and I'm stirring up all kinds of division and quarreling and strifing. It's going to be really hard for me to experience over here what God wants me to experience because I'm not being a peacemaker over here. Living at peace with God means in every area of our lives. And that's who He's called us to be because He sent His Son to make peace for us. When, when you became saved in Christ, Yes, you were saved from hell, and yes, you were saved to eternity, and yes, uh, you were were saved to, to a heavenly reward someday, and you were saved to all those things, but don't ever overlook the fact that what the Scripture speaks of the most is that we were made to be at peace with God through Jesus Christ. We were enemies, and we were made to be at peace with God. We were opposing Him, and we were made to be at peace with Him. We had strife with him, and we were made to be at peace with him through the work and the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. In everything you do, don't be anxious. Don't worry. But lift up yourself to prayer and supplication and others, rejoicing in the Lord, knowing he is here always with you. And let that peace guard your hearts and mind trade in anxiety and worry for the peace of God that you can only know by experience thanks for listening if you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns please email us at pbcfrankford at gmail.com